my, uh, my prayer life often feels abysmal. I often feel like I'm not going to God in the manner that I should or as much as I should. But six years ago, I married a prayer warrior named Christine. She goes by Bonsai, and she's amazing. And so this morning, for the next half hour, I'm just going to act like her prayer life makes mine better and pretend I know what I'm talking about. Six years into our friendship and two years before we got married, Bonsai started praying. She started praying that um, God would move in the heart of a godly guy and eventually lead him her way. She prayed for two years and didn't tell anybody. And then at the end of two years, she went on a trip to the beach with her best girlfriends from college, and she shared her heart with them. She said, I've been praying for two years, and um, nothing's happening. There's this guy that is kind of on my mind, but I just don't see it. And what do you think? And her girlfriends said to her, well, we know the guy that you're talking about, and he's a little slow. He's a little (laughs) slow. So why don't you give it one more week? One more week. If, if nothing happens in the next week, call it a day and move on. That was on Sunday, and, and Bonsai went home, and two days later, thousands of miles away, a slow, clueless southern boy from Tennessee sat straight up in bed with this thought coursing through my mind. Blind dates. I hate blind dates. Dates. Of all the women in the world, who would I want to go on a date with? And there she was in my mind's eye. Bonsai. And here's what I love about that story, other than the fact that I was her guy, is that my wife was in a battle. She was 20-something, making her way in a world that is poised to tear young people apart where the voice of wisdom cries loudly in the streets, but is often muffled by all the other wooing voices. And in the midst of that battle, she made her stand, and she prayed. And wouldn't you agree that life often feels like a battle? Life is hard most of the time, and when life gets easy, it's the very easiness of life that we are reminded that we should fight off the most. Life is a series of unexpecteds, and each unexpected brings with it its own new battle. And I want to pause for just a second this morning, and I want you to think, what are your most recent unexpecteds? As you've considered this last year, this week, over Thanksgiving, and you've thought through what you thought the year would look like, what are those things that you just didn't see coming those things you'd wish you'd known about a little sooner. Those things creating a battle within your heart. And maybe there are things that have come to you from the outside that you don't have control over. And maybe those things that are showing up in your heart that you're fighting on the inside that no one knows about. And Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, had this reality on mind, writing to a group of people that he so desired would walk well in this world, in the midst of the battles and the unexpecteds of life. He says it to them this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of every opportunity, buying up the time, because the days are evil. Walk well, walk wise, buy up the time. The days are evil. The days are evil. The, the days exhibit characteristics unlike the characteristics of God. The days are fickle and full of distraction. And Paul, knowing that the church at Ephesus was going through this battle, says to them, Take your stand. Take your stand. Put, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I don't know how this looked in your household, but in our household, <laughs> and on the heels of quite possibly the most battle-infused section of scripture in the New Testament, Paul adds these words the focus of our time this morning. It says, pray in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit. I, I can imagine in a room this size that this concept potentially conjures up old memories maybe experiences you've had at other churches where you witnessed someone uh, slain in the spirit. Maybe you've heard languages in the context of a worship service that you just didn't understand and you wondered, what the heck is going on right now? Maybe you at some point were beat over the head with someone's jacket in the name of healing. Maybe you witnessed someone experiencing the same. Maybe this concept praying in the spirit carries with it negative connotations for you, but maybe maybe it carries with it very positive ones. At the very least, maybe it drums up a deep theological conviction one way or the other. So let's go there for just a second. And if you don't want to go there with me, you can take a time out. We're going to be back in just a second. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what then shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. 
If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are talking about? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Does praying in the spirit mean praying in tongues? Well, I know, again, in a room this size, that there are some of you in this room that maybe even this week, as you reflected on Thanksgiving, you had times with you and Jesus where maybe you experienced this reality. You prayed in a tongue, maybe by yourself. And can I just say, if that was you this week, you're really weird See, I grew up in a church. Um, I grew up in a church that didn't talk about this stuff. We just didn't go there. It was never something I saw as a young person until I got into adulthood, and so I just wasn't used to it. And the people in the church that I grew up with, if they had language to put around this idea of praying in the spirit, they would have said um, that they were uh, cessationist. A cessationist is a person that believes that the the sign gifts of healing and prophecy and speaking, praying in tongues, that those things ceased with the apostolic age, that there was a cessation of the gifts, which is what my children are going to experience at Christmas this year. (laughs) They will get some gifts, but the expensive ones, the expensive ones, the ones they wanted, those have experienced a recent cessation in our household. Uh, To which I know that my five-year-old son will say, but dad, um, the drone, that was the one I wanted. (laughs) And Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Do all have gifts of healing? And the answer is a rhetorical no, but then he adds this little verse at the end of that and he says, "But, but eagerly desire the greater gifts but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so maybe, maybe instead of me saying that you guys are weird, maybe I should just face the reality that even though I haven't experienced it, maybe in the way that you have, instead of saying you're weird, maybe I should just say, I want that. Because even though I didn't grow up with it, it's in my Bible. It's there. So does praying in the Spirit mean praying in tongues? Sure, and if that's something you've experienced even this week, Christmas cookies to you. I think it's wonderful. But I think that praying in the Spirit means more than that. I think it means more than that. So you say, well, what does it mean? I have no idea. I have no idea, but I know that in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul says that men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And I love how Francis Chan says this, we are stewards of the great mysteries of God. And I think it's our tendency to say things like, well, uh, this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it means to walk in the spirit this is what it means to pray in the spirit i think we do a great disservice to the power and the mystery of god's spirit in the scriptures so let's pause for a second i want you to think about who this spirit is 
that we're called to pray in. This is the spirit that before it all began was hovering over the waters. This is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the spirit that causes us in our innermost beings to cry out, Abba, Father. This is the spirit that God says to us, I will put my spirit inside of you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Cause you to walk well in this world. So I think we have to acknowledge that this concept of praying in the spirit deserves more than an explanation. Or maybe it deserves less. Maybe it deserves to be left unexplained, to be stewarded as one of the great mysteries of God, one of his secret things. You see, I don't know what praying in the Spirit means, but I know what it feels like. It feels like um, wading out into the water as a 12-year-old kid with my my dad standing next to me in the Sea of Galilee and making my faith public and being baptized and going down into the water and coming out and welling up in my soul with Thanks to God for his mercy to me, a sinner. It feels like getting on the floor of my home in Jackson, Tennessee after graduating from college and being turned down from three jobs in a row and wondering, is there a place for me in this world, God, and are you real and are you listening? And then somehow, mysteriously, the verse Luke 18.1 popping into my mind. And I didn't even know what Luke 18.1 said, but I went to my Bible and I looked it up and sure enough, and then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Praying in the Spirit feels like being led through the bush in the countryside of Africa in Zimbabwe and encountering an elderly grandmother with a worried look on her face. And being taken by the hand and being led back to her hut where she opened the door and we peeked inside and saw her grandson laying on a mat. Flies all over his body. Dying of AIDS. And looking into that grandmother's eyes and her saying to us, will you pray for him? And inside, my answer to her was, yes, ma'am, but maybe not in the way that you would think that I will. And I couldn't stay there. And I walked out and I just lifted my fist to heaven. And I said, God, this just isn't right. Are you even alive right now? Praying in the Spirit feels like uh, encountering the presence of God when walking into a worship service with 10,000 other young people at a conference and the song was playing and I sat in the back and was overwhelmed with tears while the band sang, oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? Oh church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Praying in the spirit feels like Albuquerque, New Mexico in a hotel room 
on a trip with my grandparents where they bought me uh, my own hotel room and they bought themselves one. And at the time I had a zeal for memorizing scripture. And so in that morning of the first day, I woke up and I was memorizing Romans chapter six and I got to that verse that I love and do not offer the parts of your body and sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Therefore, sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. And then we had a great day and then I went to bed that night and by myself I flipped on the TV and I turned to HBO and I watched some things on HBO that young men probably shouldn't watch. And I found myself on the side of that bed kneeling, praying through tears of repentance. And the Spirit in His loving, gracious kind of way whispered to me, this just got real. Broken and beloved. And if... Praying in the Spirit is allowed to be that kind of mystery in our lives, that kind of unexpected, unexplainable, unexegetable truth, then the next part of this verse makes sense to me with all kinds of prayers and requests because it's in those moments and those seasons where the Spirit shows up in unexpected ways and leads us in inexplicable kinds of prayers that we didn't plan to pray, prayers of intercession and longing and thanksgiving, prayers of petition and praise, emotional prayers and doctrinal prayers. The prayers we know how to pray and so much more, the ones we don't. Because when we don't know what to pray for, the Bible says the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans that words cannot express. And He the God who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints in accordance with his will. And the God who searches our hearts has things that he knows that are on the, the mind of the Spirit. And maybe there are things on the mind of the Spirit that he desires prayed for, and maybe it's his desire to use you and me in the lives of the people sitting next to us, in the battles they are fighting, in the unexpected seasons they are in, to pray his kingdom come. And are we open to being dependent in prayer and not having it all planned out, and we like to have it all polished and the words to flow out of our mouths just like we've rehearsed it a thousand times, but are we open to not knowing what to pray for and just letting the Spirit lead us? For the people around us. With this in mind, be alert. With what in mind? With it in mind that um, the people sitting next to you are in a battle. The guy that walked in here this morning and face disheveled, looking like Thanksgiving was a mess with his family, he's in a battle. And the guy that walked in here this morning looking great and polished and like Thanksgiving went really well, he's even more in a battle. He's just not showing it. And we've all got stuff going on in our hearts that other people can't see. And God, open up my eyes. Open up my eyes. Don't care so much about your own kingdom as you care to see his kingdom come in the lives of 
of the people sitting next to you. And always keep on praying for all the saints. For all the saints. The dead ones, the alive ones, the ones past, the ones present, the ones future. What is a saint? The canonized ones, the clean ones, the ones others have deemed to live a morally good life of humanitarian service. Is that a saint? Let's look at what Paul says in the beginning of this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so we can take from that, well, yeah, the the saints are the ones we're sitting next to, the ones who um, we know have a relationship with Jesus and they're walking in his way with his heart and they're good. Pray for them, Paul says. Pray for the saints. But look at how he starts the letter to the church at Corinth. This is a church rife with sexual immorality, false idols, and divisions. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Together with all those everywhere who call upon the name of Jesus, their Lord and ours. So pray for the people sitting next to you who you know are walking with Jesus. But what if this includes all the other people who maybe, maybe just are, when they lay their head down at night on their pillow, maybe they're calling out to Jesus. Maybe a saint isn't a canonized person or a clean person or the ones that we've deemed live a morally good life. Maybe it's a person that's called out by Jesus or is calling out to Jesus. And can I go so far as to say that maybe that person is a person that hasn't even uttered the name of Jesus and maybe don't even know who he is or much about him, but their, their heart in the midst of their unexpected seasons and their battles, when they go to bed at night, their heart is crying out to him. And they are the saints of tomorrow, the ones in whom God will have his kingdom come. And Paul says, pray for them. Pray for them. Several years ago, I was invited to um, a real estate convention at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel in Nashville. My uncle is the CEO of Caldwell Banker Real Estate Worldwide. And at the time, uh, he was the CEO of ERA Real Estate Worldwide. And ERA Real Estate that year was holding its convention at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. And my uncle... Uh, asked me if I wanted to hang out. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> the convention ended and my uncle decided to go home one night early and he asked me if I'd like to have his hotel room for the extra night that it was already paid for. Yes, please. So got to be about 8 p.m. that night, and um, I was in my hotel room by myself, and my mind thought back to the last time I was in a hotel room by myself, so I decided to go on a walk. And if you know the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, it's a massive uh, hotel in Nashville, and so I walked for a good two hours exploring 
the place, and when I got tired, I headed back down the um, brick path that would lead me toward the elevator. And as I uh, almost rounded the corner, I heard what sounded like um, 15, 20-somethings girls saying things like, when is he going to get here? This is going to be so awesome. I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. He was supposed to meet us here at 1030. And then I rounded the corner. <laughs> and I saw, I saw what looked like 15, 20-somethings girls staring at me in silence. And two seconds later, ding, and the elevator opened. And 15, 20-somethings girls lined the walls of that elevator. Yes, please. I joined them, Johnny in the middle. By floor number three, the silence was broken. One of them pointed to me, you're our guy, aren't you? You're our guy. Now, time out. I'm 20-something. I'm lonely. I'm single. And I've never been to a bachelorette party before. Aphrodite had smiled upon the gay lord. <laughs> we got to the fifth floor and the girls entered room 508 and I was shortly behind them and I walked in and there she was, the bride-to-be, sitting on a couch surrounded by 15, 20-somethings girls and the music started. And as I reached for the top button on my shirt, the grace of God poured over me and out of my mouth came these words. You know, girls, I, I'm sure that your night up to this point has been really enjoyable. I'd hate for it to go downhill from here. I'm really not your guy. <laughs> and we all had a good laugh. And as I turned to walk out of their room, um, their guy walked in. And can I just say, for the sake of those girls, I wished I had been their guy. I wish I'd been their guy. I turned the corner and I walked back down to my uh, room, room 520. And as I, as I walked down the hallway, um, my heart began to bleed. There's a picture of a, a bleeding heart. I kind of thought it was kind of cool. If you look up the definition of a bleeding heart on Google, you'll find that it says there's a person considered to be dangerously soft-hearted. There's one of them right there. She's my friend, so I can say this, but there's a bleeding heart right there, Mary Veen. And I walked back down to my hotel room, and I found myself once again on my knees on the side of the bed praying. This time um, for the girls of room 508. 15, 20-somethings girls doing their best to feel something in a world that is poised to tear young people apart, where the voice of wisdom cries loudly in the streets but is heavily muffled by all the other wooing voices. And, and something in me broke. Me too. Me too. 
And so I wrote down my prayer for them to the girls of room 508. You were all so much fun. Thanks for letting me share in a moment that I will never forget and one that you probably won't either. I want you to know that I hope that the wedding day for your bride-to-be is fantastic. I hope that her marriage is a joy and that it's a success. And I want you to know that you're beautiful just like you are and that the God that created you loves you deeply and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I took the letter and I walked back down and I slid it under their door. And I believe that they read it. It was the it was the night that the unexpected spirit showed up in an unexpected way and led me in a prayer that I never thought I would pray. A prayer for a bunch of sinners just like me and a prayer for a bunch of saints just like me. You see, I believe that I'll see some of those girls again and that the true God will smile upon us. I work with young people, and these kinds of stories resonate with young people. It's the situations and seasons that they find themselves in today. And I want to take just a second for you to hear from a couple of the young people in our ministry as they share with you uh, the seasons of their life. Hi, uh, my name is Zach Weger. Uh, I'm a senior in high school. And I struggle with uh, bringing the light of Christ into a school where there's a lot of darkness. Um, I'm just wondering if you would pray for me. Hi, my name is Zoe. I'm a senior at Heritage, and the one thing that I struggle with most is trying to plan my life and take control over my own life, and I know that that's in God's hands, but it's really hard to do that sometimes and to understand that. Um, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind praying for me. Hi, my name is Keaton. I'm a senior at Heritage, um, and lately I've been struggling with a lot of brokenness in my family, and I was wondering if you would just pray for me. And if, if you only knew what was behind those comments. On a video like that, we can go about this deep. And there's about this much underneath what you just heard. And Paul, at the end of this section in Ephesians 6, he adds one more verse that I just love. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, and pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I may fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. See, for Paul, the, engaging the battle and putting on the armor and praying in the spirit, it was, it was all about proclaiming the mystery to those around him engaging the mystery. And so it's my hope this morning that when you leave, that you'll be just a little bit more encouraged to step into the mystery of prayer for the sake of the person sitting next to you and for the sake of those people out there who may not have ever heard the name of the God we worship. And you go, well, how do I engage, how do I engage the mystery? Here's three little quick things. Hoist your Sales in honor of Ryan Paulson, these all start with an H. Um, hoist your sails because this is the spirit. This is the spirit that is likened to the wind. 
that blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it has come from or where it is going. And the wind's going to blow, but if your sails aren't up, it may not hit it. So maybe put up, if you're sailing, maybe put up the spinnaker. Any sailors in here? The spinnaker is that big front sail on the front of the boat, and it's beautiful, and the wind's got to be just right for it to hit, and it blows open, and it's gorgeous. Maybe put that one up. Maybe this Christmas, engage in some things that might cause your heart to bleed a little bit. Hold your theology palms up. Hold it with conviction, but be open to God doing something in your prayer life that might not fit with your theology or the way you've always thought about it. Be open to that. And then heed the call in Ephesians 6 uh, to pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. And do this with an alert mind. Always keep on praying for all the saints. As the worship team comes back up, I'm going to close us in prayer. Father God, this searcher of our hearts, you know what it is that I walked in here this morning with. You know what it is that every person in these seats walked in here this morning with. The things that slammed them in the face this week. The new news that they got as they ate around a table with family members. The things that are tearing their hearts apart. And Father, I pray that you would cause us as your servants entrusted with your secret things to hold this mystery well and to engage it and to to pray your kingdom come in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.